Welcome to the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. The world is changing faster than ever, and the world of education is too. Spoke with Advances in psychology, biology, and a whole range of other fields have opened up new lines of thought about the purpose of school and how it can best serve a new generation of students. Join me on the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast every week to explore these new ideas. In our last episode, I spoke with two of our students, Amir Mosavenijad and Matilda Vieira, about sports and the role that it plays in their education and lives in general. Very happy to be joined once again today by a few of our amazing students. I'll introduce you to them very briefly and then let them talk a little bit about themselves. Uh, across from me, Lucy Veglag, uh, Nikis Vendonis, and Moritz Richter, although we all call him Mo, and I've been told that I have butchered all of those pronunciations, so I apologize immediately. Today we're going to be talking about a comparison between culture and education in Toronto and the homeland of the three students I'm joined by, Germany or Deutschland. Um, without further ado, starting with Lucy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and how you came to be here at Braemar. So I'm Lucy, um, and I'm from Germany and uh, I decided to come here to Canada because my sister also did an exchange here but in the US and her dream was always to go to Canada so I kind of adapted to that dream and so I chose to come here to Canada and I just had connections so I knew Bremer College and I think it was the best choice of all to come here because the school is great and yeah. <laughs> we always appreciate those kind words. Nika, how about you? Um, so I am from Frankfurt in Germany. I have always been interested in other cultures and countries because I grew up in China. So um, after I went back to Germany and also being half Greek, I really wanted to go out again because I really see myself more like in other countries in Germany so explore what do I like what do I think how do I define myself so Bremer College was a really good fit because it's really international so you learn a bit, lot about cultures and perspectives that's awesome I actually didn't know um, that you had grown up in China this is a, a cool chance to learn a little bit more about uh, these students as well um, but Toronto may be like custom made for someone like you as a that Chinese experience and then a Greek background and also the German background all three cultures very well represented uh, here in Toronto and cool to hear you say that you see yourself in international culture and in travel so often we see ourselves only in the cultures that we're most familiar with whatever our normal is yeah, that's true but uh, awesome to, for someone so young to see themselves in difference in change that's wicked Mo um, so for me I wanted to do an exchange because I didn't want to sit in school for the rest of the year. And I thought about going to Australia, but unfortunately they closed their borders. So I had the uh, choice between Vancouver and Toronto. And Vancouver was already full, so Toronto it is. <laughs> but uh, it turned out to be a very good choice, especially now with the warmer temperatures. It's a very nice city to live in. So we were your, your last choice, but it ended up being okay. I mean, you were far before the U.S. Oh, good. That's, a, that's really the only important thing for, for us Canadians to hear. <laughs> we're okay with the rest of it, Vancouver, Australia. 
today, our primary focus is just going to be on trying to unpack and understand a little bit better the differences, first and foremost, between uh, education in Germany and education here at Braemar and in, in Ontario and Canada more generally, but also just to, to learn more about each other's cultures and try to figure out where the similarities and differences lie and maybe if there's a few things that each of us can learn from one another's cultures and, and do a little bit better in the future. That's really what this Culture Shock podcast is all about. Start with a fundamental question, and maybe we can just take off from there. What is education? What's it for? Why do we all have this background of going to a distinct building where we're joined by a whole bunch of people, usually our age, and we sit in these discrete classes and we learn these discrete subjects, and at some point they tell us, good, now you are adult and you are ready to face the world when we've known all along that we're ready to face the world. So what's it for? What's education in your mind designed for, Lucy? I would say education is to bring every person on the same level of knowledge. Like, no matter where they're from or what the parents do or whatever, just that everyone has the, basically the same chance of starting their life. So we might describe that as uh, equality of opportunity. Exactly. Something like that. I like that. Nico, what do you think? Um, I mean, as you said, like, at the end, we should be able to go out and socialize. So I think education really starts not in primary school, but kindergarten, so that we really begin um, facing it more like a primary agent of socialization. So um, adapting cultural values, norms, and going from then, yeah, from there on. An agent of socialization. I want to come back to that in just a second, so hang on to that thought. Mo, what are you thinking? I think that education is uh, like a foundation for the life or for uh, the work life in general because even though if you're not doing an academic job or a job where you need high levels of education, it's still important to know more or less how the world functions and how math or something works. So even though if you're just, for example, wanting to be a carpenter, it's still important to have the f basics and the foundations. Yeah, I mean, for a, for a carpenter, perhaps even more than, than most, being able to understand geometry and, and of course, all the other trade skills. Um, sameness, equality of opportunity, having a foundation of knowledge to participate in society, an agent of socialization. It's interesting to me that, especially when I, when I speak to, to you, Nika, you are already... I think everybody in this school would agree, a highly socialized person. You, you speak multiple languages. You exude a great deal of empathy. You have a really solid social group, Lucy and yourself uh, combined, uh, alongside a few others. Shout out to, to Anna or Anya and, and Rochelle and, and a few others. But it doesn't seem to me that you would have been poorly socialized had you grown up in a field or a cave or a mountain. You, you would have always found a way to be socialized. So in what sense does school, perhaps even specifically your school experience, help to create a person like yourself? Um, well, firstly, I think starting off um, in kindergarten, where I think we were only 10 in a group, so we really got a lot of like attention. Um, and also in China, going to like a more private education, having a more private education. Um, being able to really express oneself from an early age, I think is really important. So after I learned that, I think Germany was then a big culture shock for me because 
um, there are far bigger classes. You don't get this attention anymore. But learning how important it is to focus on oneself, I think, from an early age, that really shapes you as a person and also as someone who, I think, met all their agents of socialization. So, like, almost except for family, like, friends in school, I think that's another important factor that education really helps you um, to develop oneself truly, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome answer. Um, I want to talk a little bit later on when we compare uh, more explicitly the German education system with the Canadian education system, Mm -hmm. class sizes, and what it's like, as you say, being in a class with, say, 10 or less students versus, um, as is the case right now in Ontario, at least in high school, you would be in a class of perhaps 28 to 32. Mm. I think the cap in the public education system here is now 32 for secondary schools. Here at Braemar, it's a little bit different. But let's hang on to that and and broaden the question a little bit before we go there. Um, For someone like myself, who is relatively unfamiliar with education systems outside of my home country, can you just explain for our listeners very broadly what it's like going to school in Germany from the one word that I'm sure I know, kindergarten, a word that we use here as well. Uh, I am familiar a little bit with the system of hop school, and uh, I know you're heading to gymnasium, and at some point you have to write a abitur Mm -hmm. test. Uh, That's all I'm going to be able to provide the listeners. So help me out, maybe starting with Mo, can you just explain the the structure of education in Germany, and especially what it's like when you start as a a young child? You mean the structure of the different schools or like how it is to go to the school? A little bit of both, but let's start with the structure. So in general, after elementary school, there's three different schools that you can go to. It's how you said Hauptschule. That's, I would say, the worst level of school you Mm. can go to. Then there's uh, Realschule. That's the middle. And then for the best students, I would say there's Gymnasium. And in general, it's uh, it depends what you want to do. So not uh, only the best students go to gymnasium. Some of them also decide to go to Hauptschule because they know that they don't want to do a job where they have to have academic education. For example, if they want to be uh, a carpenter or something where they do something physical, then they could, could just go to Hauptschule because there's also a difference in how long you go to school. Hauptschule is only until grade 10. Realschule is only until grade 11. and Gymnasium has 12 or 13 years, depending what program you have in your school. So I think it's not only the intelligence or the grades that you get at at the end of, or have at the end of elementary school, but also what you want to do in life and what your parents maybe want you to do in life. So yeah, I think that's pretty much a summation of of the schools. And I think for me, the first couple of years, so the first four years of elementary school, were not that much about the education, but more about going to school and doing something with friends. Like it's not it's not that much about the education that you get there because in the first two years of school you don't even get grades in Germany, or at least in school where I was. Mm-hmm. And there it was just having fun in the recess times and doodling around around in class with your friends. So, yeah, I think it's more for so- socialization in the first couple of years. I hope that's true everywhere. That was that was certainly the case when, when I was growing up, although we did have grades of a sort. I got a report card. I remember I got a lot of Bs, 
and my parents, uh, that was the first time where I realized like, oh, okay, if I want to get something from my parents, like a yes to stay out playing with my friends at night, I'm going to have to boost these grades, whatever they are. And that was kind of the first time where I was, where I connected my performance in school with the freedoms I'm going to have and the quality of my mm -hmm. life. Um, and so I would have been maybe seven or eight when that happened. In Mo's description, Lucy, did you, was there anything that was missing or that you'd like to add? Uh, well, I would say that when I was uh, in like the first school grades, like from one to four, in the first two years, you didn't really get great. It was like just like, yeah, you did it or no, you failed because you just can't do it at all. Uh, but then from grade three to four, you started to get grades and then you were also like based on those grades, how good you are and whatever. But at that point, I didn't realize that those grades would affect the rest of my life, basically, because mm. if you don't have good enough grades, there's no way for you to get into the gymnasium. Like there you just. There is, sorry to interrupt, but there is a way like you can still do a test or something, but nobody does it. Mm. So it's like, <laughs> so anyways, uh, what I was trying to say is like, if you just are not good at school in grade four and the time where you do the test or whatever it's just for you your life is pretty i don't know it doesn't have much of a feeling like yeah i can do whatever i want to if you are in the gymnasium you can do everything else because you're like the best of all so you're like superior or whatever yeah. and i just when i was younger like my grades were not the best because i had like i wanted to go out with friends play and not sit in school listen to whatever i just couldn't i couldn't also listen to the teacher mm -hmm. after like half an hour of talking i was totally dis distracted and so i if i would have known it be be earlier i probably would have started learning earlier and trying to get the best of all what do you think of that nika um so I cannot relate to that because I'm a, I'm a very ambitious person. So I think in third grade already, I started like, I, I didn't necessarily had to study a lot for my test, but every time like we have the system from one to six, one being the best, six the worst. Every time I had a two, I would go to my mom and I would cry. I would be like, no, this is not okay. I need a one in this subject. So my report card was always just ones. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that was really important for me from third grade. So the the assessment um, standards would be on a scale of one to five, is that right? With five being? No, six. Oh, one six. six, okay. Mm. One would be excellent. Yes. Yeah. Five and six, we're starting to look at interventions and mm. maybe even staying behind or something yeah. like that. So if you got a six, then you're basically out of school immediately. Wow. So it, it at the end like of the year, at the end of the year. Yeah. I, I don't know if this would be everybody's impression, but it sounds like the, the stakes were a little bit higher for you as German students early in your life than they were for me. For example, I, I grew up just going to public school here in uh, mm -hmm. Ontario, and it was never it was never put into my mind that I had to do well right now or two or three years from now I would be in, I think what, what more is called the, the, the wrong school or the, or the, no, it's the, not the wrong school. school. It's a school for the people who did worse or who weren't explained that well that they have to do good mm -hmm. in elementary school. Because I think that's also a big problem because not many people, like uh, Lucy said, realize that early in their life that they have to perform in order to 
be able to go to a gymnasium or to Realschule. And I think it's not certain, not really right to do it that early because you cannot tell a nine-year-old, yeah, the performance that you have now is going to affect your whole life and whole, your whole academic education. So, yeah, I think it's there, sh there should be some change. Well, and this is why we have conversations like this. This is why the field of comparative education exists. There are people just down the street at OISE who are doing masters and PhDs in comparative education, mm -hmm. trying to figure out exactly what education system produces the kind of results that we started by talking about. Agents of socialization, creating a foundation for, for social participation and for, for being a, hopefully, a... a, a productive member of society and also someone who who enjoys their life and, and finds it pleasant and, and is motivated to pass on those traditions to those that come after them. Um, the the one story that comes to my mind as I hear you talking about this this structure where young children need to be sort of encouraged to begin thinking very seriously about their future, whether they want to go to a more theory-based university out of the gymnasium or perhaps whether they want to go into a trade. We've said carpentry before, but anything, uh, plumbing, electrician, mm -hmm. um, etc. Or perhaps whether they have other alternatives in mind. Um, I did a, a master's of English literature in university, and as part of that, we have to uh, TA or be a teacher's assistant for uh, an early, early years university course. So the one that I TA'd was intro to formal writing, intro to formal English writing. I was at the University of Waterloo for my master's where there's a very, very large population, especially of uh, East Asian and Southeast Asian students. And so my class was maybe 60 to 70% Chinese, Indian, um, Korean, etc. from that area of the world. And they were just learning how to put together emails and, and write a formal essay, some of the stuff that, that we learn here in school. But one of the assignments was that they needed to write a short, like a one to two page personal story, almost like a journal entry. And I had to mark 50 or so of these, these short uh, stories. The stories written by the Chinese students were overwhelmingly, and this shocked me, I was, I was in my early 20s when I was doing this, these stories were overwhelmingly about the losses experienced when this young student, this young Chinese student especially, was made to move schools. And they moved schools as far as I understand, I'll probably have to ask a few of our Chinese students about this, uh, five or six times in the course of between what we call kindergarten and, and grade 12 before university. It's all based on merit. It's all based on these standardized tests. They have to do very, very well often. There's high pressure often in their lives because they know next year they're either going to say one of a series of maybe 10 schools ranked from, from best and the one most likely to make you go to some, you know, some great university or some high paying job and those that are not going to see you get there. And these, these young people were asked to leave good friends, neighborhoods, even romantic partners behind in, the, in their teenage years. And this was obviously something that, that shaped their lives very much. So I guess where I, where I want to go with that story is that this is not an uncommon experience for young people, but I wonder about your thoughts based on your own experience and anything that you've seen or thought during school. Um, how does this affect young people, and are we doing the right thing by asking them to think so seriously and so specifically 
about their future goals when they are so young. Did you feel that pressure? Do, do you feel yourself as having benefited from it? Or have you changed that vision of your future self several times? I don't know. Lucy, what do you think? So I never really were like, yeah, I gotta do anything for school. I was always and still am a person who would rather meet friends and spend the time with them and have fun. Because I mean, I have good marks. It's not that I would fail if I don't do it. It's just that I'm like, I don't know, average, maybe a little better than the average, but not like the best students. I could reach it if I wanted to, but I don't know, up until now I weren't like, yeah, I need the best marks of all. And I know my best friend in Germany, she studies a lot and she has really good marks. And I had the feeling, or I still have the feeling, that she never had like a childhood like me because we normally meet every Friday and then maybe a month or two straight she said yeah I don't have time I have to study I have to get those marks I mean it's not only that the parents forced her to it but she like she wants to have those good marks but I had the feeling that due to the pressure she has on her she didn't really grow out of her like she never could be a child she always had to be a good student and I think that affected her pretty much and I can see that still that she really enjoys still I don't know like she enjoys it more than other people to play outside or do whatever because she never could do it before and yeah I think that kind of took her childhood away mm. um someone who also grew up in Chinese culture but not in the system and having a lot of friends in Chinese public schools I think we're very fortunate in Germany with our um, way of studying I'd say I mean the homework is like not comparable at all hmm. and I know a lot of my friends who had real burnouts and also because of pressure from their parents that if they're not good they're a fa failure so I never had that my parents never cared which grades I had um, it was always from myself like that I said I want good grades because I want to study medicine in university so now is the time where it really starts that um, adding on to what Mo said earlier, if you do not do well in the last two years of high school, then you cannot study what you really want to study. So everything counts, every test counts, every oral grade counts into your final abitur. Wow. And um, that starts for me in summer. So we will see how that goes. But yes, I'd say studying is a what is always has always been a big part of my life but never so much that i restricted myself from other things i always like implemented it more in my life and i really enjoyed like the way of studying too yeah so your your vision for yourself was very specific early on it was authentic to you right you as you say you pushed yourself you didn't mm -hmm. need that pressure from authority figures around you um, and you want to be somebody who works with medicine. Yeah, that's you, true. You want to be a healer, and that's that's kind of driven you all the way. Lucy, I think you and I were a bit more similar when we were young. We were, just, we were enjoying life. Um, I, I thought I was going to be a basketball player forever, and, <laughs> and, and that would carry me through the, this life. And that changed several times, but I was basically following um, the groups, the trends, the, the activities that, that seemed most fun, and certainly not the ones that were most likely to produce 
a, a highly intelligent, uh, directed, professional self. How about you, Mom? Um, so for me, in elementary school, I didn't feel pressure from anyone or anything at all. My parents just told me if I have homework, I have to do it. So I just did it. I didn't really have to study for anything because the tests were like more intuitive. If you understood the topic, you ju could just do it. And the more I uh, progressed through school, I think the more I see that the further you get to the end of the school, the more people start to take it seriously and the more people take time to study. But I think up until grade 10, through the German education system, nothing really matters. Mm -hmm. If you were in a uh, gymnasium, then it doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you pass. Only grade 11 and grade 12 matter. So uh, I think most of the people should take their time uh, up until grade 11 to have more fun and not really rely on the grades. Still uh, try their best, obviously, but in grade 11 and grade 12, most people start to study every day or study for every test, which before not many people or not that many people did. And I also think that for someone who is, for example, in grade six, it's far more important to have fun in life and to have a good mental health no, and not maybe study every day, be grounded by parents if you don't have a good grade or something, because I think that only leads to mental disorders and mental illnesses. It's always nice as, as an educator to hear a young person say that. That's that's exactly where, where my value set is, and, and I think where all of yours are. Nikki, you talked about young people burning out, and, and that to me just seems it just seems so wrong mm -hmm. right? in, in the phase of your life when you are most naturally creative, most naturally energetic, most naturally explorative. Right? We know this from even just from a observational standpoint, but also from a neuroscientific standpoint, your brain is in wonder mode when you're young and to burn out in that, in that phase is, is tragic. I think, um, I wanted to ask all, all three of you, this is something that I've wondered about for quite a while. When I was in teacher's college, I remember watching a short YouTube video, um, and it was talking about Scandinavian education and German education and Japanese education. Uh, and Canadian, these are, these are some of the systems that are usually near the tops of what are called the, the PISO rankings, um, which is kind of the UN-sanctioned measurement of quality of education in different countries. Germany is currently third. You'll be, I'm sure, happy to know. You can, I think you were overall third in uh, reading science and math. There is one area that you do quite poorly in. We might <laughs> get there. You're 73rd out of 76 in, in one area. Um, but... Back to this YouTube video that I watched, they described how in early years education in Germany, um, the school day ends basically early afternoon, like very early afternoon, and children are encouraged to get outside, to go in, in largely unstructured, in some cases unsupervised play when they're young, often in nature. Is that true? Was that your experience? And, and what's that like? I'm just going to change the order up here and go, Nika, what was that? Or, Pardon me, you were in uh, China early on? Mm, no, until second grade, so okay. it's fine. Um, I think that really is a big difference between Canadian and German school system is that the extracurriculars are here, are from school. And in Germany, people who do extracurriculars, they go outside and do it. So um, I think every boy up until the age of 15 plays soccer in Germany. 
I don't think there are many exceptions. So I've noticed. So that's what they usually do. And I mean, I think a lot of people play instruments. So that's really something that German parents push, I'd say. Um, but like, honestly, also a lot of playing, a lot of meeting with friends after school, especially I think when you're more from like the countryside, you do that. Um, I'm from a city, so I couldn't use a subway until I was maybe a little older, like um, orientate my way around. But yes, I think that's really important. How old would you have been when you started orienting your way around? Fifth grade, I'd say. Fifth, so maybe six. 10 or 11 years old? 11, yeah, okay. I'd say. Early years education, is, is my YouTube video true to your experience, Lucy? Yeah, I, I would say so. Like, I'm from a village, very small, 7,000 people, very cute. And um, the school was till, like, 1 p.m., and then it was over. And then you could go home or do whatever you wanted to. And since you know everyone in a town, you just all met together, played games, went outside in fields and whatever, and it was great. I, I enjoyed the time a lot, and we got, like... We have, all, even though we are a small town, we have a soccer team and we have for handball and all kinds of sport and you had always the possibility to do whatever you wanted to. And I think that the school also was like, yeah, how about like here we have sports or I show you games and breaks, which you can play later with your friends outside. And when I never got homework like ever, even in the higher grades. And so I spent basically all my time outside when I was younger. And I'm, my assumption is that you, I can see you smiling right now, you look back on that time fondly. Did, do you think it was good for you? Do you think you learned even through that unstructured time outside of school in the afternoons? Yeah, like I am a person who always needs nature. Like I couldn't live in like, I don't know, New York or any big city where like high buildings, many people close together, no space. It's just nothing for me and I will need till the end of my life nature with me around where I can go out and just have fun. And I think that has a big impact on me also like from very young age on. And th that comes out in your behavior. Uh, even we, we've been knowing each other for about a year now and you're one of the only students I've ever met who could walk into a volunteer scenario like the one we were in two weeks ago. Um, Lucy and Nika accompanied me alongside a few uh, other students to help in a uh, garden that is being run by a um, food service program nearby our school. There was a gentleman who was there to help guide us, uh, to help direct our activities in the garden. It took about five minutes before Lucy was directing him, <laughs> before Lucy was guiding basically how this garden would be set up, how to care for these plants. And you did it without condescension, without arrogance, right? without pretension. And he was very, very pleased to have a peer. Not, not, it wasn't like a young person talking to an authority figure. It was just two people, two peers talking about a garden. I could not have done that when I was your age. Mm -hmm. I never had that learning. I probably couldn't do it now, right? But being able to see someone who's still a, a teenager, who's still you know, going through what I just called this, this wonder phase in their life, so capable in that setting. And it's not something that we typically... We don't give grades for it, certainly. It's not something we really encourage in our, in our structured education model. So maybe a hint there about uh, some changes that, that we might 
look towards from this German education model that sees young people going out into unstructured situations for whole afternoons, for whole years when they're young. Because during those afternoons, at the exact same time, I was in class. Right? I, w- I was in a classroom just like I was in the morning, and I didn't really have those times for, for unstructured, especially unstructured natural play like yourself. So it's cool to see the results, and I hope they continue. Uh, Mo, Nika m- mentioned that just about every young man in Germany, until they're about 15, plays football. Yeah. And we see the quality of the national team. We see the quality of the Bundesliga. Um, I've seen your quality on the pitch. This is a young guy who goes box to box on the pitch. He's one of the only consistent runners. He's also someone who's yelling out instructions and guiding his team. Highly skilled, highly, highly athletic for someone his age. Um, does that come out of that those early years experience? I definitely would say that only having school until 11 a.m. or something for the first some grades of your school life contributes to going outside a lot. And because the school doesn't provide you with extra curriculums, like Lucy said, you have to basically find something yourself. So your parents most of the time come to you and ask you, hey, you want to play soccer? Hey, you want to play tennis? And they just say, yeah, whatever. And then you go to your first training and there's 15 other guys who are also like six years old or something. Most of the time, even younger, who also play. And then you just continue playing every Monday and Wednesday every week of the year except the holidays and every saturday there is a game or something and i think from that on there's a lot of people who continue to play even above the age of 15. i think the most drop out at like 11 or 12 because the school stress starts Mm -hmm. to hit them what i think is very wrong to then drop out of the sport because it relieves you of the stress and i think this also provides germany with this great national team as I would say like 90% of German guys start playing soccer at like six years or seven years, very early on in their life. And there's so many academic teams and so many um, things where you can grow in your soccer life. So I think that not having school until that long also helps you with that. And also if even if you, there are schools where you have school until the late afternoon and in those schools, it's most of the time mandatory that you have a long break. And I have friends who told me every time in this long break, there was a soccer ball out on a random field and they just played for one hour and then returned to class, drained in sweats, mm-hmm. but they had fun playing. That I recognize. That was a part of, of my life growing up, for sure. Every second, every day that we could get onto the basketball court or, or get onto the soccer field, we were there. Um, and that was highly encouraged, which is the only reason that I can keep up with you and maybe even score a goal or two uh, when we play soccer. Um, I grew up watching the England team, obviously, but uh, still had a huge amount of respect for guys like um, uh, Michael Ballack and uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger and uh, Manuel Neuer. Did you have a, a hero or a role model growing up? Um, I, myself, I'm the defender. So for me, it was more like Philipp Lahm and Mats Hummels. <laughs> Both very, very great players, especially we- in the 2014 World Cup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was just the I think the 2014 World Cup for guys my age was like the first big event that we like really saw. Like before 2010, I was like five years old. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch the World Cup. But then. God, that makes me feel so old. <laughs> Go on, sorry. <laughs> but then like 
every one of my friends remembers what they have done at the 2014 finals, what they wore or what they like, how they cheered with the family or where they watched it. So it was like a huge event in every guy's life who played soccer at that time and maybe also in the girl's life. So I think, yeah, we all have a deep connection to some players or mm -hmm. to the national team in general. Was that, that this was the World Cup, correct me if I'm wrong, where um, uh, was it Goetze scored the final yeah. goal? Mm -hmm. That beautiful flying goal near the end of the match? 115 yeah. minutes, I think, or 14. That's right, in extra time. Yeah, incredible goal. And I see uh, everybody at the table nodding and smiling. <laughs> so Moritz is right. This was, this was a huge moment for, for the young people of your country. Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't much into soccer more than anyone else. Like, I played with friends sometimes or whatever, but, like, I wasn't in a, I don't know, as, as a hobby, like, just for fun, you know? Sure. But uh, I was with my friend in Denmark, like, and with her parents, and we were watching the game, and it was, I think, just because I was together with my friends and we were somewhere else, I think that's the only reason why I remember it, but it was, like, a really cool experience mm -hmm. and it was very fun to watch. Yeah, um, I think we were in fourth grade or something and it was, I don't know, but it was really epic. Um, just, I think everyone watched this game in, in whole Germany, so it was like really this national fascination. But also the whole World Cup was just, I don't know why, but I watched every single game. Um, we had like um, bets in class with chocolate. <laughs> who, who would win um so it was a really a big fascination throughout That's, germany it's so cool it's it's nice to talk about it because i do recognize this this uh, type of event that a whole nation gathers around you're, you're probably aware here in canada hockey is still to this day sort of the big sport it'd be something like what football means to germany and i think of the 2012 uh, vancouver olympics when the canadian men's national team won a gold medal, and Sidney Crosby scored this great goal at near the end, end of the game. And I'm not a hockey fan, right? Like Lucy, they, very similar. This wasn't my, my jam when I was growing up. Uh, but in that moment, it was. I felt very, very Canadian. I felt very connected. And it's one of these kind of landmarks that you have throughout your life. Did you have other role models? Other, doesn't have to be sports, could be anything. Cultural role models growing up? Honestly, no. Not really? I, even, like... I was never much into social media or people or whatever. I mean, if you ask me now about any singer or actor or whatever, I have no idea who it is. Like, I don't know, you come with Britney Spears and I'd be like, yeah, I heard the name, but I can't tell you who it actually is. I was, it was more always like family. I, okay, you can probably consider this a role model as well. My brother, he was like always with like, I was always with him. He didn't like it till he was like, I don't know, 15 years old. <laughs> He's uh, my older brother. and uh, But he, I guess he was my role model in good as well as bad parts. Mm. And But since in the town, like, I don't know, it's just family and friends are super close and all you do is spending time with them. <laughs> yeah. Some would say it's not the worst thing in the world to be a little disconnected from the, the whole social media and celebrity sphere sometimes. Nika, any, uh, any role models? Well, I really liked, when, like when I was, was very young, I really liked Peter Pan. Like I had a Peter Pan obsession and I really had an Astrid Lindgren obsession. So any characters she wrote, like Pippi Longstocking, mm. especially she was my idol when I was growing up. Um... 
but then later, I don't know how, but I was a really big fan of Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. yeah. Powerful cultural figure. <laughs> right. Super German. important. Yeah? No. No? <laughs> no. We could do it. I, I was going to go off on a tangent there. Um, <laughs> so you would have been unique in, in the celebration of, of Ellen DeGeneres? Yes, I yeah. think so. I don't even know. Uh, I think my parents knew her at the time, but I just discovered her on like the iTunes of my dad's iPad, and then I would always watch the show. Cool. Um, since we're on the topic, and, and since this is kind of the whole purpose of why we're here, you've spent... Each of you have spent the last year here with us at Braemar, and you've been, give or take, <laughs> like correct me if months. I'm wrong. Four months. Okay. Four months, yeah. A little bit less, so two terms. Yeah, yeah second term. Yeah. She's OG. <laughs> okay. She's the vet. Exactly. I got you. Um, you've been here through the winter. You've been here through some COVID restrictions. Um, it's, it's been not the, mo the, the easiest year for anybody in education. Um, just looking back, talk to us a little bit about your experience. What, what has stood out to you here at Braemar, here in Toronto? Um, pros and cons, good and bad. What do you miss and, and what will you miss when you leave? Mo, I, start, I guess I'll start with you. So everybody says here that they hate the winter. but <laughs> I have to say I really liked this, especially when the lake was still frozen. Because uh, me and some of my roommates, we went there the first week I was here or something. And we actually went ice skating on the lake. It was like, I never could do this in Germany because in Germany it's not that cold where I live. Usually that the lake freezes. Only like the small ponds freeze most of the time. So that was pretty cool. And I also enjoyed having snow in the city for most of the time until it starts to get a little bit warmer and all the streets were full of water and uh, soggy snow and stuff, then it got worse because I don't have snowshoes, <laughs> which was maybe not the best idea coming here without snowshoes. But I didn't really suffer from the COVID restrictions, if there were any here. We could play soccer, we could play basketball now, we could do anything. We only had to come to school and write that we don't have any symptoms, which is very weird when coming from Germany which, with the very strict restrictions. <laughs> So here, it's very different. Here you just come and say, yeah, no, I, I don't have symptoms. No, everything's fine. Even though you can have COVID without having symptoms at the moment. So it's, and in Germany, every um, Tuesday and Thursday, we had to do a PCR test in school. Mm -hmm. And then I also sometimes was like Wednesdays or Mondays where you had to do a quick rapid test. So coming here, this was like a culture shock that you're, you don't, you didn't care at all about what could happen at COVID or with COVID. So I think I didn't suffer at all. It was more like a relief coming here. Cool, I'm glad to hear it. Um, we need to get a button that goes like boing, 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 every time somebody says culture shock on <laughs> the culture shock podcast. Um, yeah, t it's, it's been a, an interesting two years in Toronto with regards to restrictions. I think most people would say that we started out quite strict, uh, even in comparison with, with most measures taken in the rest of the world. And we've gone through our waves, and the response to those various waves, especially the first two, were, were quite big. Um, but it has been evolving. And as you've only been here with us here for four months, four months, and the OG's been here a little bit longer, um, you've probably seen the, the more slackened uh, restrictions where we are um, just doing symptoms tests and uh, offering PCR for anybody who, who does have symptoms and then 
doing stay-at-home measures for those. Uh, you would have been here in January, I believe, for the, I think we were at home for two weeks, just at the start of January when we came back from the Christmas and New Year's holidays. But other than that, you're right. We've, uh, we've largely been able to go about our business and have our fun. And that's been liberating in a lot of ways. It's really helped, I think, not just uh, our students, but, but our staff to, to get over what was, in some ways, a traumatizing um, year plus from the start of COVID onwards. Same question, going over to, to Nika. Pros and cons, what stood out to you? What will you miss? Um, so I really did not like the winter. <laughs> I Because I don't know why, but I'm, I'm just not a winter person. For me, it's always like I love winter until the first week of January because we go skiing there. And after that, I'm done with winter. Like mm-hmm. summer can come. And it was like so depressing because it was like, oh, it's 17 degrees. Oh, no, it's five degrees again. Like... That, that was my experience until the middle of April. And now it's like finally getting warmer, so mm-hmm. I'm happy. But I think what's really the best thing about Braemar is all of the school trips that we're doing now that it's finally a little warmer. Like always going to your office saying, can we do this trip? Can we do this trip? <laughs> um, so yeah, Ripley's was really cool. The aquarium, um, going camping soon, which is very exciting. Yeah, like all those things. It's really the best yeah. part. And yeah, you were with us for Toronto Island. That mm-hmm. was that was a big highlight for me. Yeah, but my 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 complete legs are still burnt. Oh, I'm so sorry. my skin is like now slowly peeling off, and it looks like you know those snakes that lose their skin. Yeah, that's how it looks like. Yeah, molting. <laughs> uh, so the the big advice to be taken from Mo and Nika's experience, as they've just stated, is come prepared for the weather, whether it's sunscreen in our somewhat schizophrenic springs that jump from 25 degrees to 7 degrees and, and back in the course of a couple of days, or the correct shoes for our, what Kurt Vonnegut called the unlocking season. You see, we don't have four seasons, we have six. We have, of course, winter, spring, summer, and fall. But before spring, we have unlocking, when the streets are flooded, and everything is slushy. And then, of course, we have locking after fall, when it's time to Put on those warm coats and huddle up by the fire with a book. Lucy, coming to you, the veteran. Give us some wisdom. <laughs> give us some advice. What's it been like? When I came here first in August, uh, I was, I don't know. Well, so it was weird to go everywhere to show my vaccination to, uh, to uh, like, cinemas were closed for a while and you couldn't do very much mm-hmm. and like in my town again we don't have a mall we don't have a cinema we have a school and like houses but nothing else uh, so it was kind of weird and also that uh, I just came here showing my yeah I don't have any symptoms it's cool and whatever um, but like I don't know I wouldn't say it's worse than Germany or better, because I'm a person, I can live with anything. I don't care to wear a mask. I don't care to do in the morning those two minutes where I say, no, I don't have a headache, whatever. And to show my ID was also not weird. I got my vaccination like three months, I think, before I came here. I was pretty early for a teenager or whatever. Um, 
and I don't know, it wasn't really bad. And but the only thing which actually made me wonder was like the school system, how it's here is. Because in Germany, you have, I don't know, eight subjects a day. And then they switch up a little over the week, but you basically always have the same things. And here you have two subjects, each two and a half hours long and whatever, a break in between. And I just thought it was, at first, I thought it's weird, like, because I was sitting there almost falling asleep at the end because they were talking about the same topic. But by now I think it's pretty cool because you uh, don't... Like, you don't have to carry every subject's books with you, and it's, you, after 45 minutes, like, our lessons in my town are 45 minutes, there, you have to change and get into the next topic, and you can, like, when you're here, you can stay in the topic for a longer time, and I don't know, I think it's better than in Germany. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was really hoping we'd have a chance to talk about this because, for those who don't know, Braemar's education structure is quite a bit different from... Um, the public system here in Canada and apparently the the system in Germany we have what has been called the quadmester system it's more like a, a, a pentamester system here we have five semesters and as Lucy just described two classes a day it's the same two classes every day for 10 weeks and you have two and a half hours every morning and two and a half hours every afternoon to really dig into a subject um, same setting same teacher same classmates so we, we aim for creating a familiar setting. Um, it's, it's been interesting to see the rise of uh, what's called positive psychology in, in the last decade or so. Um, amongst it, this theory of flow states. There's a fellow named, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation like I do so many, but uh, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, and he has, yeah, you can see why, uh, he's developed this concept of flow. And maybe you've heard of it, but it's basically a, a state of mind where you are at your most productive and most focused. And for obvious reasons, uh, psychologists are very interested in figuring out how do we create a consistent state of flow for most people. Because we all want to be able to work in a focused manner. We don't like feeling distracted and we'd like hopefully to be efficient with our work, get it done so we can go back out and do the things that we enjoy. One of the things that's become quite obvious in the study of flow is that it takes a certain amount of time. Most people would say between 20 and 30 minutes to achieve that state for our brains to kind of shut down all the different alternate um, operations that they're engaged in, like thinking about what's for dinner tonight and does that person over there like me and I wonder what our lesson's going to be, etc. And just being there, present in the moment and able to uh, approach it with your the most mental energy. If you're changing classes once every 45 minutes, that means, at least according to this theory, that you will very likely not be in a state of focused, productive um, awareness for the first two-thirds of that class. So you have about 15 minutes to to be great, and then you jump to the next one, and the process starts over. I'm interested, just hearing that very general explanation, do you see that in your own life, and have you felt that in your your studies here with the, the longer classes? I wouldn't say so, honestly. I feel like generally in school in Germany, I'm more concentrated because there's more at stakes than here. Like, I'm not here for grades. I don't care what I get in the end. Um, So I just view this more as like a fun course. So in Germany, I'm I'm prepared. Like, next course, okay, I'm raising my hand again. 
looking what the teacher wants from me. Um, I I think with those 20 minutes, they don't usually apply for me. Like when I do an essay after five minutes, I'm, I'm really deeply focused when I want to. Hmm. So, yeah. That's interesting. And of course, these are these are very, very, they're like average measurements. Mm. So every individual is different. And perhaps some people can jump into a state of flow focus quite easily. And perhaps others um, take a, a bit longer. Perhaps we can also be trained to be a bit more efficient at getting into this process. We're still figuring this stuff out. Mo? Uh, in my school, it's actually different. We have every subject has two 45-minute lessons with a five-minute break in between. So we have more than just one-third of focus time, as you would say. Uh, and I think just having one and a half hours of one subject is way, way better than having two and a half mm. hours of one subject. Because after some point, you just don't want to hear the same stuff again and again and again. And I also think that it's far more efficient to study three to five different subjects a day like this, or three to four subjects a day like this, than having just two subjects every day and then switching up after 10 months. Because yeah, there, there does seem to be a almost a parabola, um, like so much in life. Our, our attention seems to go in waves and... Our, our highest energy points, our creativity seems to have a peak and then it's very, very difficult to sustain that peak, as you say, for, for long hours of time. And I also find it very weird that you only have two subjects or in the normal schools is four, right, per per day? Mm. I'm trying to remember. I think I would have taken five. Five, yeah. yeah. Because next year I'm going to have 14 or 15 subjects. You're waking up each day and, and responding to slight changes. And yeah. Yeah, different stimuli. And, and we don't have the same subjects every day. Every day there's a different subject. The main subjects, like German, English, math, uh, chemistry for me, you have three times a week, three, two, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there are subjects which you only have uh, one time a week. Mm. Do you know what you're aiming for in terms of either college, university, professional, et cetera? Uh, no, not really yet. Uh, maybe also medicine or engineering in Formula One or something that would be very interesting. Wow. But I'm just aiming for the best possible Abi 2 I can get because in Germany, as Niki said, it's very difficult to study medicine. You need to be nearly perfect. It's the same with psychology and some other things. So I'm just aiming for the best I can do mm. while keeping my mental health so and having fun. Yeah. And, and we, we always try to emphasize that kind of balance. Um, but I mean, Nika in medicine, um, Mo, engineering, psychology, these are, these are going to be pretty expensive uh, university courses to take, don't you think? <laughs> he said, setting them up for the big reveal. Oh, it's free. Yeah. No, it's free. Can you explain how that works? Uh, maybe I'll, I'll go to you, Nika. Um, when I was looking forward to university, I had to think about things like uh, getting a provincial loan, um, hopefully having grades enough to, to get a bit of a scholarship or a bursary. I played basketball for the university team, so they, they gave me a small athletic bursary for that. But I was still paying X number of thousand dollars per term just to go to school. In Germany, not so. Explain how that works. Um, I think, honestly, the government covers everything because so the teachers in Germany, the... Um, doctors mostly, the 
um, professors, they are all no, not not doctors, I think, but um, the police, they're all under under one thing that's called Beamten. Can you so say that again? Beamten. So so they get this this wonderful thing from the government where they get money, they get their own um, uh, loan for when they're like old, like they have their own big pot of money. They cannot get fired that easily. That's why if there's one German teacher that's maybe a pedophile, it can take 10 years, 20 years for him to get out of schools. Um, so, yeah, that's how it works. It's all controlled over the government, over the taxpayer. Mm. And I think you have to pay like $250 a semester, but that's only for public transport mostly. Yeah, Yeah, we would class these under public welfare or, or social mm. services when you talk about things like pension or labor protections, free university, free health care. Um, I know that... In Germany, the provinces are able, or is it provinces or states? States. States, states. pardon me. Um, the land. Yes? Bundesländer. 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 Yes. Uh, the states are able to determine the, the structure of their education um, systems. It's not federal, but the federal government does do an awful lot to secure a foundation for, for the people of Germany, including making it quite easy to afford university if you qualify with those those great abitur uh, marks that you described. We are coming to the end of this podcast, sad to say. I love sitting here and chatting with all of you. You, you have a wealth of experience and, and wisdom to give. Um, share some of that wisdom with future students. Imagine, let's say there's a there's a 14 or 15-year-old out there who's considering a, an exchange like the, the ones you've described, or they want to boost their English, or they're hoping maybe to come to a Canadian university and they'd like to, to get a bit settled here. Think about when you first arrived. Think about travel. Think about whether you've seen your, your culture represented around this city in our, in our culture. Um, and what would you tell that young person to make their, their experience here as positive as possible? So for me, uh, I see my culture here pretty much because I live uh, with a German homestay. So she knows what I like. Like just I have German culture basically at home here um, where I hear from other students that it's sometimes really shocking to get into other homestays from other cultures, just what they're not used to. Uh, but I would say that it's a great chance like if you have the chance to do it exchange year or high school year do it i think it's totally worth it <laughs> i just think that uh the things you get you learn here is definitely worth whatever it costs like it's just uh, an experience you should make and also to see different cultures here in, in toronto even more because you have every culture here i just think it's totally worth it I'm glad to hear you say that. What about you, Nika? I would really say just do everything you can. Like, you have five months, go out every day, do your stuff. If you have the option, school, do stuff for school, go outside with friends, always go outside with friends, do every school trip possible, um, join extracurriculars in school, join cooking club. <laughs> I think then you will have a really great experience. Yeah. Yeah. And we would be remiss to 
not say that the three of you have absolutely exhibited that that advice. You've lived that out. You have been a part of so much of our student culture. For me, I am in a, a household with a Filipino mother, homestay mother. She's very great. Shout out to Digna. She's awesome. I can I recommend everyone who gets to choose uh, gets to choose her to choose her. She cooks very good, and mm. I live with eight other guys or seven, and they're all from different parts of the world. And it's if you want to have a multicultural uh, school and city, then definitely come to Toronto. And I think it's the difference between um, Brema College and public schools with the activities you do. Because I have a friend who doesn't do any activities with his school because it's a public school. And Bremer College really emphasizes on doing activities as much as possible, which I'm also really looking forward to the trip that we're going to do. And the soccer is also really great. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah, it continues. We, the, the weather's only going to get better and camping trip coming up, graduation ceremony, soccer, cake, lots of cake, cake beaches. It's, it's, all, uh, <laughs> it's all happening here at Bremer. Lucy, Nika, Moritz, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for sharing your experience. I'm sure it'll be valuable for the listeners. Uh, any final words, be they in English or German or any of the other languages that you speak before we go? <laughs> in Germany, we would say, Walla der Podcast war gut. Bruder, safe. Wonderful. Danke. Thank you to the listeners. Uh, we'll be back soon enough with another episode. Till then, I'm Mike Elsby. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out next week's podcast, where we'll be speaking with Garson Carroll, a local personal fitness trainer who works with Braemar students in advanced fitness modalities.